Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal Part 27A of N, DNS. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials written by Bart Bouchatz over at bartb.ie slash ttt. This originally aired as part of NoSilicast episode 505, hosted at podfeed.com. I'm Allison Sheridan, host of the NoSilicast podcast, and the other voice you're about to hear is Bart Bouchatz of bartb.ie. So we're heading into Taming the Terminal, and I did want to tell you that I am, I, I feel like we're accelerating in the funness now. Like we, we finally have paid our dues in all the, uh, the early background information and getting into some fun stuff. I'm, I'm finding myself really looking forward to it instead of going, oh, this is going to hurt. <laughs> okay, well, I'm hoping actually this one should be a particularly fun one because, the, you know, the domain name system or DNS is absolutely critical to the internet appearing to work. You can have a fully working TCP connection, and if DNS isn't working, it'll seem like the internet's broken. Okay. So it, it's an important one. All right, cool. So we've already looked at Ethernet, we've already looked at TCP IP and subnets in great detail. And so at this stage, we're kind of up at the layer four stuff where we have things that use UDP and TCP. So the DNS stuff is sitting up there in layer four. Um, but before we go to DNS, I'm, I'm going to do what I've been doing all of these segments is... Let's go look back at what there was before DNS so that we understand why DNS came into being, which I guess is a very Nocillacast sort of way. It it is kind of describing the problem to be solved. Okay. So us humans do not remember numbers, but we're quite good with names. And so we like to have a mapping of a name to an IP address. So instead of talking about 149.157.blah, we talk about www.potfee.com or something. You know, I always like to like... compare it to uh, Bob's house versus 123 Main Street and his exactly. zip code. I don't exactly. want to have to remember his zip code. Bob's house. My router versus 10.0.0.1, right? We, we like names. And so originally, those names were not universal. They were local to your computer, and they were stored in a single file called etc hosts. So it's in slash etc slash hosts. And this file would allow you to name computers on your network. Now, Windows machines have host files too, right? They do indeed. Okay. So, in fact, to this day, we all still have them. We have them in Linux, Unix, OS X, and Windows. They're all, they still exist. But a more but that specialized used to, usage, huh? Yeah, but that used to be all there was. There used to be nothing else. And so you could, in your machine, map a name to something, and then someone else would map a different name to the same IP, and that was fine. And maybe if you were working for a large company, they might have a, an official list that you could get off a file server, or maybe that would automatically copy down every night onto every computer or something like that. But it was up to every organization to manage naming entirely themselves. And there was no global system. And that just doesn't scale. So right. once the internet became a thing, this sort of LAN type approach didn't work. And so we needed the domain name system to solve the same problem, but properly. Now, before we go on, let's actually have a look at the host file, because to this day, it, not only does it exist, it takes precedence over if you, over DNS. Oh, really? So if you have, so when you actually go to look something up, like when your browser tries to find podfeet.com, it checks the host's file first. If it finds an answer, it never asks DNS. Huh. So you can use the host's file to short-circuit DNS. So this would be which, fun on April Fool's Day, then. You can certainly do it for, for giggles. It's also a technique malware uses. I was going right? to say, you just go yeah. in and say google.com, point it over to spoogle.com. Right, or say PayPal to a fake PayPal site and hope that you trick someone into entering their username and password. So it is actually, right. I've seen malware do it. 
it's it's quite you okay. Know, so it, maybe it's not that funny then. <laughs> you could do it for fun though. You could have fun with it. Um, it's also a way that you can do very, very, very crude website blocking. If you go in and you change google.com to point at, say, 127.0.0.1, suddenly Google will cease to work. And I know that it used to be the done thing when spammers weren't all that common, that you would download a text file from the internet, copy it into your host file, and it would block a whole bunch of known bad sites. It's a bit of a crude thing to do, but it is possible. Something that's useful to do, though, is... Within your home network, you may actually want to give names to things without the going to the effort of creating a DNS infrastructure. Ooh, I like that. File. Right. Ooh, I like that. If we have static IPs going, right? Exactly. So if you want to see what it looks like, you can just cat slash etc slash hosts, and you can just have a look at it in OS X. Um, in Windows, it's really well hidden, and I'm going to leave it to people to find it because it varies a bit depending on what version of Windows you have. It does exist, though, and you can edit it with Notepad. So what you'll see is any line that starts with a pound sign, as you guys call it, or a hash symbol, as Europeans call it, is a comment. Oh, okay. So they're just comments. Hey, wait a minute. My yeah. IP address for podfeed.com is in there with comments in my host file. We I must have done something. We, did, we would have done that while we were testing your server move. Yeah. Is that, this, it's very, I use it all the time in work because if I want to test a new web server, I will make a host file entry so that I see the new server while the rest of the planet is still seeing the old server. When I'm happy that everything's working, then I change DNS and then the whole planet follows me across. Oh, sounds like something and, we did then. Yeah. So you should find a bunch of stuff in there. Um, do not delete the line that says 127.0.0.1 localhost. Because that's actually how localhost becomes 127.0.0.1. Don't delete that one. But other than that, you can kind of have fun. So the format is very simple. IP address, space, name, optionally space, second name, space, third name, space, fourth name, space, fifth name. As many names as you like. So that's it. That's all you have to do. So if you just v edit that in VI or Pico or whatever your choice is, now remember to use sudo because it's owned by root. And then you can just add in aliases. So if you know the IP address of Steve's machine, you could add an alias, say Steve machine or just Steve or whatever, or Steve Mac, whatever you want to call it. And then you could just say SSH Steve Mac and it would know where to go. Oh, I like it. I like it. So as I said, the example I give in the show notes is just my router. You could you know put the IP address of your router and call it my router. Could be useful. Yeah, yeah. So the host file is there, it still exists, and it's still used. So I thought we should mention that. Now, so the domain name system is what's really doing the heavy lifting today of turning human-friendly names into IP addresses. Uh, it's actually quite old. It dates to 1983, or at least the spec dates to 83. The first actual DNS server was written in 1984. So I guess for a year it was pure theory, no practice. Uh, and although the spec has been augmented... It hasn't actually changed, really. So it's there are now more, but nothing that was there is gone, and the philosophy is unchanged. So really, it is pretty much as it was in 1983. Now, a lot of stuff you tell us about that's like that, you always end up saying, and this seemed like a good idea before we found out there was evil in the world. Is DNS in that category? I'm afraid it is. It's, ah. it's, it's a little too easy to fake DNS records now. Actually, I just realized that the show notes don't have that chapter. I should put that paragraph in before the show goes live. But yes, DNS has no built-in security, which is a problem. Yeah, I was really hoping that was a setup question for, no, this is one of the good ones. No, now, however, 
You know the way I said it has changed a little because new stuff has been added? DNSSEC is an extension of DNS, and that will give us proper security. It's just slow to roll out. So actually, in this case, the, the, the future's bright. Oh, okay. Which is not the case with a lot of the other stuff. So DNS is not secure yet, but it looks like it will be. So that's something. Okay, so in the DNS world, we have decided to go for hierarchical naming. So it's not that... It's, we couldn't use flat naming space for the entire planet because how many people would want a computer called Steve's computer? Right? 20 kabillion people, that would never work. Right. So the DNS system is hierarchical. And at the top of the hierarchy, so anchoring the whole thing, is what's called the root zone. And it is represented by the single character dot. Okay. Now that dot, in theory, is on the end of every single domain name, but we do not write it down. Hmm. We have just decided as a species we couldn't be bothered. It's one character too many. It's in the spec. <laughs> it works. If you put it in, if you go to podfeet.com dot, it will work. But, but we just don't bother. It's unnecessary because we have all written our apps on the assumption that we're all lazy, which is a pretty valid assumption. <laughs> okay. Um, so at the top level, we have the root zone. One down from that, we have the so-called top-level domains, or TLDs. Com, net, org, gov, edu, many of them. Right. And we also have, so they're the generic top-level domains, and then we also have country-specific top-level domains, like IE for Ireland, BE for Belgium, FO for France. And for no apparent reason, .co.uk. <laughs> Ah, it's not quite for no apparent reason, because oh, .uk hate is actually their TLD. So, all right, so this seems to be really common with British colonies and Britain themselves, so Australia do it too. They have decided to split their top-level domain into, like, sub-top-level domains. Why? So in Britain, every university is .ac.uk. Corporations are .co.uk. The government is .gov.uk. And the Australians, again, have .com.au, .edu.au. But in reality, actually, nobody has what... to even follow that, right? Like, I could create podfeed.org, and everybody might think that I'm a non-profit organization because that's how it started? Yeah, they're not, they're, they're not compulsory, right? But they are actually useful because if you... And some of them are heavily controlled, right? You could never... .ac.uk, AC stands for Academic Community... You cannot register an AC.UK unless you are an educational institution. So you can register O.UK. That would be good if every type of domain followed that rule, right? But I don't trust it. I used to think, oh, .org. Well, that's a real, uh, must be a real charity because it says .org. So I think I'm going to register podfeet.co.uk. .co.uk you can have because that's not regulated, but you couldn't have that AC.UK. So it means nothing. It has no value. I disagree. AC.UK has value. Co.UK is like MISC, but AC.UK has value. Gov.UK has value. Well, it's up, to, it's up to every country to run their own. So .ie actually has great value because you have to prove you have a right to a .ie domain. Domain squatting is not possible on .ie. Pain in the backside because I have to do an awful lot of paperwork every time I register .ie. On the other hand, no one's going to steal my .ie. So swings and roundabouts all the way. Hmm. So... Us ordinary plebs on the planet, we can register names one step down from the TLDs. So you have registered podfeet.com, I have bartb.ie. So we can register that level, and we tend to call those domains. And we are then free to subdivide our domains 
any which way we like. I could have a.b.c.d.bartb.ie. In reality, we tend to just go one step down into subdomain, so www.bartb.ie and www.podfeet.ie, or sorry.com. Wait, so how they is that are, going down? I thought that is the top-level domain. No, no. So, w, no, www is one step down from Podfeet. It is? It is. It most certainly is. Oh, you're going to have to explain that to me. I thought they were the same thing. We have chosen to configure just about every web server on the planet to work that way, but that is not, from a domain point of view, that's not true. They are two separate records. There is a domain record that says podfeet.com goes to your server, and there's a separate record that says that www.podfeet.com I do goes remember to the you server. helping me set that up originally. You probably don't yes. have to do it anymore, but I remember 100 years ago you saying, okay, well, we want people to type podfeet.com, so let's do blah, blah, blah to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Something a lot of people forget, actually. They forget to do their without the www. Yeah, well, I don't do it anymore. I don't want to. Too many characters. <laughs> right. We're, we're quite fond of leaving out the www these days. By the but way, yeah, I so had several is... Europeans that I interviewed uh, on, at uh, CES. When I asked them mm. their website, they said www, and then their, their website oh. address. Did they mean two Ws, or did they just say I... two and three? I don't know, because uh, the first person who did, I was just like, oh, they just, you know, they just screwed up. And then another one did it, and then another one did it. I thought, maybe there's a trend. We're tired of too many W's. I don't know. Possible. Anyway. Sorry, I, I just did a pretzel at a bad moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will continue to say that that's interesting to me, because I just uh, never made that connection. I thought I understood that. So what's really happening is that you... So you www.podfeet.com is the subdomain of podfeet.com is the subdomain of com is the subdomain of dot. Huh, okay. And that is a full hierarchy. So the strange thing is usually when we read hierarchies, you go sort of from the root to the leaf. But in DNS speak, we go the opposite way. So if you draw out the hierarchy, as you can see in the diagram in the show notes, the root zone is on top and the root zone splits into many TLDs each TLD splits into many domains, and each domain optionally splits into subdomains. But you don't start at the top and read your way down. You start at the bottom and read your way up. So www.podfeet.com, you're starting at www, reading up to podfeet, up to com, to the root. Yeah. And for part b.ie and mail. www.partb.ie and mail.partb.ie, you do the same. So it is slightly backwards, which is a little confusing. Hmm. Now... I, I'm actually kind of surprised you, or maybe you did say it and I forgot, I didn't register it, but usually you throw in the word telephone book into this conversation. Oh, well, I didn't say telephone book, I said I said uh, uh, address. So I talked yeah, about so, Tom's yeah. house, yes, and that's in yes. the address book, right? <laughs> right, so a lot of people say that the best way you can think of the DNS system is like the internet's version of the phone book. It turns number names into numbers. And it's... True, but it's a bit incomplete as an analogy because the DNS system doesn't have one type of record. Like if you think of a phone book, it has one type of record, telephone numbers. But the DNS system actually has lots of types of information it can tell you. And I have listed here a not even complete list of them. And even this is already quite a lot. So the workhorse of DNS is something called the A record. And an A record maps a name to an IPv4 IP address. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to really understand this, because you're always okay. using that phrase A record whenever I'm messing with my domain, and I never yes. know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, good. So this is definitely what I you follow want to pay the attention. rules, and I do what you tell me to do, but I haven't known why. Okay, so a DNS A record maps a name, a, D, a, a, a domain name, 
to an IPv4 IP address. So in other words, podfeet.com to an IP address. That's so, an A record. And the time that that has come up, though, has been like when we're configuring my email with a domain name or something. Well, your email is going to come up. That's a slightly different record. That's an MX record. It's going to come up oh, there. Oh, we do talk about MX records. Okay. Okay. All right. So my so A record, record is stored by my uh, ISP or my, yeah, not ISP. We'll come my, to who stores it in a minute because okay. it is stored and that is important, but we're not going to confuse ourselves with that just yet. Okay. So your A record is just a mapping of name to IP address, an IPv4 IP address. A AAA record is exactly the same thing, but it goes to an IPv6 address. Hmm. So A records are IPv4, AAA records are IPv6. So Someday we're going to care. I just figured this out. These are all types of DNS records, but they've got different names. An A record, a AAA record, and on down line. Right. So you can have an A record for podfeet.com. You can have a AAA record for podfeet.com. You can have an MX record for podfeet.com. Okay. And so they're all the DNS domain, records, but, which I didn't know. Yes. So the same domain name can have many different answers depending on whether you're looking for the A record, the C name record, the AAA record, the MX record, the PTO record. Hmm. Okay. So A records are just name to IP. AAA records are name to IPv6. We might care one day. I don't care yet. C name records are the ones that confuse people sometimes. Oh, I've heard you talk about that too. Okay, so a C name officially stands for a canonical name, which is no help to me whatsoever. <laughs> uh, a C name record matches a domain name to another domain name. It is an alias, a redirect. Okay, so is that like, uh, is it a C name record I use so that when people type in uh, nocillacast.com, they get to podfeed.com? That is one way, that is certainly a way you could make that happen, yes. Okay. You could also make that happen by having the A records be the same, but that involves duplication. So a C name record will be better. Okay. So uh, like if you have, say, the actual server that does your webmail in your corporation is called like server46.mycompany.com. And I want people to get to it easily. So I'm going to have a C name that says webmail.mycompany.com is an alias to server46.mycompany.com. Yeah. Okay. So it's just domain name to domain name. And when you follow the C, rec C name records, eventually you end up at an A record. So a C name, you might get redirected a few times until it finally pop out with an IP address. Hmm. So it is an alias. It is a way to point you, I want an IP address for this name. Yeah, go look over here. Go look over here. Here you go. Here's an IP address. Hmm. Okay. MX records are the other important ones. They stands for mail exchanger, and they decided to capitalize the second letter of the second word instead of the first letter. Uh. So a mail exchanger record specifies which... Now, an MX record points to a DNS name, not to an IP address. So it says, which DNS name is the server that does email for this domain? So podfeet.com will have an MX record that says Google does it. Yeah. So to explain to people who are listening, um, I use uh, Google Apps for Business to route my email, um, my podfeet.com email through Google so that Google will do all the spam collection for me. Which is a good way to do it. And also, a lot of people outsource email these days because it's just easier to pay Microsoft, you know, $2 per user per month or something like that rather than doing it yourself because email is hard. Yeah. So tell me again what it means. I understand that my mail goes through Google, but this okay. is saying that so, if you go to mail.podfeet.com, no. there's an alias that says. No, no, no. no. Okay. No. <laughs> this is telling. Okay. So you're in mail.app and you hit send. Mail.app has to talk SMTP to someone to actually deliver your email. 
So what mail.app does is it says, hello, DNS, give me the MX record for whatever came after the at symbol. So if you're sending me an email, mail.app will go look at the at bartb.ie and say, give me an MX record for bartb.ie. And it will say that my email is handled by Google, as it happens. And you'll get back a record saying the server that does Bart's email is whatever the name of Google server is. And then mail.app will talk to that server to deliver the email to me. So it is only used by email sending devices. Okay. Okay, so every email address is something at domain name. Right. So turning the at domain name into an actual server is what the MX record is for. Which server is responsible for this domain? Okay. And that's... Okay. You don't sound convinced. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm missing where that information is stored and happening, the, the conversion. So if you send to Podfeed, let's do it the other way around so it's okay. easier for me to turn my head on this. You send okay. an email to Allison at podfeed.com. Mm-hmm. How does it find out that it's really supposed to be going through gmail.com? Okay, so you have configured an MX record on your domain. Right. I use DNS to query your domain and say, hello, Podfeet, what MX record do you have? And then I will be told to go to Google by the MX record. Okay, okay. All right, I got it. And so if you decide that actually I hate Google, I want to switch to Microsoft, you would change your MX record and that would be all you'd have to do. I wouldn't have to change anything. Okay. Again, I know you don't want me to talk about where that's stored, but I think that's stored at my hosting company. if you, yeah, I was going to say, in about three minutes, we'll get to that. Okay, I'll wait. I'll try to be good. Another type of record, which is one of the ones we're not going to look at today, is something called a PTR, or a pointer record, which is actually used... DNS can go backwards. DNS can turn IP addresses to names. It's called reverse DNS. We are skipping over it, because this is not an IT course. This is just for people who are interested in stuff. So okay. we're going to ignore PTR records, but that's what they do. NS records are really important because NS records are used to tell the DNS system what server runs what domain. So in other words, when you, you, you know, as we said, you have to have an MX record somewhere. Where is that somewhere? The NS record says where the somewhere is. We'll get back to those in a minute because they're very important. TXT records are kind of like, have some text and make it associated with the domain name which is spectacularly generic. But they're actually quite useful. So when you have to prove to Google that you own podfeet.com, you had to create a TXT record. Hmm. <laughs> you may or may not remember doing this, but may I definitely remember not. helping you do it. <laughs> I'm sure you remember it. <laughs> so the way it works is you go to sign up to Google Apps or to Microsoft. It doesn't actually matter which of these providers. You go to sign up to any cloud provider. They want to make sure that you really do own the domain that you're creating an account for. And so that they will sense. say to you, we have created this... 32-bit random number. If you really do control podfeet.com, then you can put this number into a TXT record on your domain. Hmm. If you don't control the domain, you can't do that. And so they will just check for the TXT record. Ah, it showed up. This person owns that domain. Check. It's just a way of attaching some tech. Yes, really. This one rings no bells. Um, And you keep saying, if I own the domain, it's really if I have a server on that domain, correct? No, it's if you own the... Uh, so I would have done it recently with domain. Hover? <laughs> y- yes. Because it's ish. with your domain company, not your hosting company. You would put that information in? Maybe. It could be either. Okay, we're 
Sorry. Annoyingly, to tell you to wait three more minutes. <laughs> and then Fine. the final one is called an SRV record, and these are spectacularly important in corporate IT and utterly irrelevant to home users. Good. Uh, so we're going to say no more about them. So, DNS servers, because this is what actually does the work, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it is pointless to talk about DNS servers in the abstract, because actually there are two completely separate kinds, and they do completely separate things. And so this is perhaps one of those do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do things, but I would like everyone on the planet to get out of the habit of saying DNS server, and to either say authoritative DNS server or DNS resolver. Ah. Okay, you're going to have to convince me. I thought you were going to say we can't say DNS server the same way we can't say ATM machine. Nope. I'm it's afraid DN not. server. It's, <laughs> I'm afraid it's a case that DNS server is not specific enough because there are two types and they do completely different jobs. So you should be more explicit. Otherwise, people don't know what you're talking about. Okay. The first kind is the kind that provide truth to the world. They are called authoritative DNS servers. And they're the answers to the question you've been trying to ask me for the last five minutes. <laughs> An authoritative server's job is to host DNS records for a domain. Every domain in existence on the planet has to have at least one authoritative server because otherwise the records just don't exist. And almost every domain on the planet has two or three of them because if it goes down, your domain falls off the internet and that's not good. So there is on this planet a server an authoritative DNS server that is telling the world all of the DNS records for potfeet.com. There is another one for bartb.ie, and there's loads of them for everyone else. Now, okay. I, so if you were a big corporation, you'd probably run your own. But in reality, you or I are not going to run We're going to pay someone to do this for us, but there are two someones who it could be. In my case, I know I'm paying a company called Register365 to do my DNS zone for me, and I think you're paying Hover to do it for you. It depends on... The uh, domain. <laughs> Podfeet.com has yet actually to move to Hover. No, Silicast.com and Nozillacast.com are both on Hover. Uh, GoDaddy okay. still has Podfeet.com. Okay, so in that case, okay, so Podfeet.com is sitting on GoDaddy's authoritative DNS server. Okay. And BartB.ie is sitting on Register365's authoritative DNS server. So that's who I, I rent the domain name from. No, it doesn't have to be the registrar. It just so happens that it almost always is. Right? What you're, the right to the name and where it is is not right. Okay, so I know I'm confusing you, and it's a really important point, and I don't want to confuse you because it is important. So imagine that you are Microsoft.com. Mm-hmm. You are not going to have GoDaddy hosting your DNS zone. You're going to run your own servers. But you are going to have to pay GoDaddy or someone to, to rent the name. To rent the name. Okay. But, but you and I tend to do two for one and say, okay. we'll rent the name from you. And would you mind hosting it for us, please? Because we don't have our own servers. Hosting the DNS records. Hosting the DNS records or the fancy name is the DNS zone. Okay. So a collection of records for podfeet.com is the podfeet.com zone. Okay. And so you are paying GoDaddy to host that zone. I'm paying Register 365 to host my zone. And so they have a server which has a file which has a tab, bartb.ie tab IP address. Actually, that might be the other way around, but you get what I mean. They actually they, they have a server telling the world what IP address matches bartb.ie, what MX record matches bartb.ie, what TXT records, if I had any, okay. match bartb.ie. 
I want to make sure nobody's getting confused when you're talking mm-hmm. about hosting. That is completely different from hosting the files that get uh, shown to you when you go to bartb.ie. Correct, which is why you will never hear me say the word hosting without saying web hosting in front of it. Okay. So, But in this case, if you say host the DNS zone, that isn't hosting, your, that's not web hosting. Not web hosting, it is only telling the world what DNS records okay. exist for my domain. I think I follow that. Okay, good. So, but I thought that's the only kind of DNS servers there were. Ah, but that's no. authoritative, all right? They're authoritative, and it's their job to tell people what is. Authoritative tells people. Okay. There's a whole other type, which is actually finding out the answer. So when you type in bartb.ie to your browser and hit enter, a different kind of web server has to go find that answer. Oh, really? And that's a DNS resolver. Wait a minute. So authoritative servers (laughs) tell the world, resolvers go find the answer. Wait a minute. So the authoritative server knows that bartb.ie is at Mm -hmm. 123.17.16.4. But it won't tell you that? Only the DNS resolver will do that? Okay, well, you're, okay, when you're sitting at your computer, it's not in GoDaddy's data center. So something on your computer has to ask the internet what is. Not something is a DNS resolver. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so, right, so, okay, so BartB.ie and PodFeed.com, we'll keep using those two examples. They're on completely separate DNS servers. Correct. So if you're, you couldn't configure your browser to use any one, so your browser is actually using a third, a second kind of DNS server whose job it is to find out where the DNS servers are that know the answer. We'll walk through the resolution process in a second, right? I'm, but it's now you've just completely lost me, though. So okay, authority- imagine. Okay, now let me give you an analogy, right? So the whole world has lots of streets, and imagine that a DN, an authoritative DNS server is a billboard, and it just writes up all the records for that domain. Someone has to go walk the streets and find the answer you want. So if the authoritative DNS servers contain the information that says the IP address for BART's website, mm-hmm. but it's the DNS resolver that goes and gets it from the DNS, authoritative DNS server. Yes. All right. Okay. I mean, this, this math isn't thing. that hard. Why couldn't they do it on one kind of server? I mean, this is a, a lookup table. It's a big database, well, but it's just not a lookup, a lookup table. table. Because when we actually, okay, you, you think it's easy, but it's not easy. Because yeah, we're going to walk through what it means to be a resolver I in a minute. I could have written this myself, busy. I, I could have written now, this. It's easy. <laughs> something important to say. So if you go into OS X's uh, system preferences and you go to the network page, you will see something called the DNS server colon. Mm-hmm. That is your resolver. And that was given to you by DHCP. Yeah, you're okay. You're mixing all kinds of stuff here because that, as you've shown it in the show notes, it's internal to your network. So it's not being given by. It's being given by the HTTP. My HTTP server has said what what server I should use to resolve domain names. Your one will be different. It'll be also internal to your network. But that's not what I'm using to resolve domains. I'm using uh, Google's domain servers. Okay, well, if you've coded in Google's domain server, where have you coded but those in, though? Into my router. Uh-huh. So, you're so there's a DNS the internal using... and then a DNS external. Okay. Right? Bear in mind that, okay, I'm going to make a note that you have configured Google, and I'm going to tell you where you have in a minute. But well, I, I, know, I know the answer to that, but what all I'm trying to say is you're, what you're telling us is there's an internal DNS on your local network, 
And then when you get outside, when you get outside, you're going to, okay, it's a resolver. When you get outside, you're going to be talking to a different DNS resolver. Maybe, probably. Well, definitely. But not necessarily. No, not definitely. If you You were, my router can do it. It could, yes. If you wanted to configure a router to be a full resolver, you could, but your poor router would have a lot of work to do, so no one actually does. Unless you're a corporation, in which case you most definitely do. I manage resolvers in work. So we run our own resolvers. We don't use anything outside of our network. We run our own. Perfectly doable, but we don't. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Just okay, so let's start with this internal DNS. So when it says DNS server in the network tab, that it's mine says 10.0.1.1, yours says 192.168.10.1. Okay, so yes. that's an internal, but it doesn't have anything to go okay. look up or resolve because there's nothing it, inside. Well, no, it, okay, it does because you're inside, right? So this is, okay, so whenever I go to a web browser and I type in a domain name, this is the setting that tells my browser who it should ask the question of. Okay, so it's saying so, go talk to the router. Go talk to the router. Now, the router may get help by going to talk to someone else, but as far as your computer is concerned, all it has to know is who can I ask how the answer comes back doesn't care. It just says, I ask DNS questions to that guy, and he'll give me an answer somehow by some magic. Okay. So, there are two types of DNS resolver. Actually, before we go on to that, I just want to mention one thing. There is a text file that used to control this, and it still does in all versions of Linux other, uh, and Unix other than OS X. If you go to, if you say cat slash etc slash resolve.conf, it will tell you the DNS server your computer is using for DNS resolution. Hmm. Okay. Which should say name server 10.0.0.1 for you. All right. It's useful to know. Anyway, so... There are two types of DNS resolver. There is one that does the work, and there is a lazy one. So let's actually start with the not lazy type. And that will explain how, why we have these servers, because they do a lot of work. A true DNS resolver has to start trying to find the answer at the root. So if we Wait, look can back I, at the... Can I back you up? Sorry. You uh, can. I, I just found my terminal window. I realized I had 28 applications open while we're doing this. Ouch. Which might not be helping. Uh, I'm lying about 28. But under name server, it shows first the two Google servers, and then it shows my, my router's IP address, internal. In that case, you've hard-coded those into your laptop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. Perfectly valid thing to do. Perfectly valid thing to do. But it can't find them without going through... It can. They're IP addresses. doesn't need any help finding an IP address. Really? Maybe that's why it's so fast. I skip mm-hmm. all that internals. Uh, I don't know. No anyway. idea where I did that, but okay. I believe you. It's a perfectly valid thing to do, because it means that when you leave your house, you're still getting Google servers. Ah, look at me. <laughs> okay, Completely so... I'm aware of how I did it. A, a resolver gets handed the question, give me the blah record for blah domain. So, as an example, we're going to look up the A record for www.bartb.ie. So something, be it a browser or whatever, wants to know what IP address goes with this name, and it hands the question to a resolver, and the resolver then has to find the answer. And the way it works is it starts at the root of the DNS hierarchy. So it starts at dot, and every computer has built, every resolver has built into it a list of the root DNS servers. And so it will pick one at random and ask it, and it will say to the root DNS server, Dear root DNS server, do you know what IP address matches www.bartb.ie? Now, the root DNS server doesn't know, so it will answer and say, I don't, but 
What I can tell you is that this list of servers is responsible for everything that ends in .ie. So why don't you go and ask them? <laughs> okay. So it gets back a list, it picks at random one from the list, and then it connects one of those on the list and says, hello, I'm looking for www.bartb.ie. It says, I don't know where that is, but I do know the name service for anything ending in bartb.ie, so why don't you go ask one of those? So again, it gets back a list, in this case of three. It picks one of those three. Hello, name server for bartb.ie. Do you know www.bartb.ie? And this time, it does know, because it's my DNS server, and it answers back and it says, sure, here's the IP address. So the process is a resolver has to start at the root and it ripples its way down through the hierarchy, which is why a resolver has a lot of work to do. Still just lookup tables, Bart. It's not a lot of math. It's It's not math, but it is a lot of network traffic because you're saying, hello, root, who looks after IE? You do. Okay, hello, IE, who looks after Bart B. IE? Oh, you do. Hello, Bart B. IE, where's WW? Oh, great, there it is, thanks. That's a fair, you know, it's it's not difficult, Mm. but it is talky, chatty. Sure. I'll give you chatty, but it's not that right. hard. I mean, it's not doing that. No, it's not hard. No. Oh, no, it's, yeah, okay. It's a database. It's not hard. It's okay. not hard, but it, it's not a single database because it's hierarchical. So you're always, you're being referred to a more detailed database. It's like having phone books inside phone books. Well, but that's what databases are, right? True. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens every time you do a full resolver. Uh, but that's an awful lot of work. Well, okay, we're going to argue whether or not it's a lot of work, but there's, it's not a one-step process. So there's another thing called a stub resolver, which is a DNS resolver that just asks someone else. So your router is a stub resolver, and your router has been configured to ask Google for the real answer. So now in your case, you have you've have three DNS servers configured, so I'm going to stop using you as a typical example. But a typical person in a typical home network that hasn't done anything funny, what actually happens is your computer is told to talk to your router. Your router has been told by your ISP to talk to its DNS server, and it will actually do the work. Okay. Makes sense. Now, the other thing that is built in everywhere in DNS is something called caching. And that's the reason we don't have to do all these lookups all the time, because we can cache the answer. So if you actually look under the hood, right, to get bartb.e, there were actually six queries involved. So my browser asked a stub resolver built into my operating system. My operating system stub resolver asked a stub resolver in my router. My router's stub resolver asked my ISP. My ISP went and asked the root servers. My ISP went and asked the IE servers. My ISP went and asked the bartb.ie servers. And then it finally got an answer. Stub resolver sounds like that guy in office space who said, I'm good with people. You know, (laughs) I I take the information to the engineers, right? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. So the stub resolver just says, yeah, I'll get that for you, and then goes and asks someone else to do the work. <laughs> now, the thing is, with caching, stub resolvers suddenly become useful. Let me let me take a pause here. Uh, we had talked yeah. about probably having to cut this episode in half, so I don't know if we're yes. up to that point yet, because it's... We uh, are, right, you see where it says in the show notes, DNS commands, that's the cut. Okay, all right, good. So, at every level here you are allowed to cache the answer you got. Ah. So when you get an answer from an authoritative server, it adds a piece of metadata to the answer called a TTL, which stands for time to live. 
I think which we is talked about Time to Live 100 years ago. I'm sure we did, because if you're changing your domain a lot, you want a short time to live, so changes happen quickly. If you have a long time to live, everyone gets to cache your stuff for a long time. So the TTL is just, how long may I cache this? And so you can say, I don't want my servers to be bothered all the time, so I'm going to give a TTL of like a week. Bad idea, by the way, because then it means it'll take a week for your changes to take effect. Can you change or it you right could, before you change, make it a, a change, though? You can do. So that, exactly. So if you know you're going to move a website, you might change your TTL to five minutes. Leave it That's like that. That's where I've heard of it. I think you did that yes. with me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did. And then once you've moved and you're settled in again, put the TTL back up. Okay. So the TTL is just, how long may I cache this? So every stub resolver is allowed to cache stuff. So what that actually means in the real world is when I go to www.bartb.ie, it's very, 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 very likely that my ISP's resolver already knows who looks after .ie. So it probably doesn't have to go all the way up to the root and start at the top. It also, the chances are very high that the IE servers may, you know, that. sorry, so it's going to hand it back to my router, which is going to cache it. So if anyone else... Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. I'm losing track of who's doing the caching. Everyone. Oh, oh, so the TTL says how long you can cache this. Yes, so the authoritative service is how long it may be cached, and then every resolver, be they stub or full, caches. Okay, so if my DNS... I don't so there's a resolver your- looks for bartb.ie. It looks at the metadata and says, okay, it's, all, it's allowed to be cached for 24 hours. It's been 23 hours. Therefore, I can just give the answer back. I don't need to go check again. Correct. So okay. there's a cache in your ISP. There's a cache in your router. There's a cache in your computer. And there's a cache in your browser. And every, but everybody, after they've asked for something once, knows how long that cache is allowed to be kept by the TTL information yeah. that was the metadata that got added. Right, so imagine something like Google.com. <laughs> Everyone who shares your ISP is going to be looking for Google today. So the chances are that your ISP has that answer cached, so it never oh. goes further up the chain than your ISP. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. So imagine you and Steve both go to BartB.ie. Well, then your router is going to have BartB.ie cached, so it never goes any higher than that. You might be using two browsers to look at podfeet.com, well, your computer can now cache that, so the second time you go, it doesn't even have to go check again. And in fact, Safari has its own cache, and Firefox has its own cache, so as you're going from page to page to page within BartB.ie, you're not rechecking it every time it's cached in the browser, too. And so all of these caches mean that in reality, very, very little has to be resolved the hard way. Hmm. And the stubs suddenly make sense because they're caches. Oh, okay, okay. And that's kind of that that that's the pulling it all together bit. So the last thing I just want to say today is just the formal spec and then we'll stop. So basically, DNS is a layer four protocol that uses UDP. Every DNS query is one single UDP packet, and every reply is one single UDP packet. Okay. Now the fact that it's UDP makes it very efficient. So the root DNS service can answer lots and lots of questions very quickly. However, it does mean they can sometimes go missing, they can be dropped, and so sometimes you'll see DNS has to be resent. And so if you don't get an answer, your computer will just send another question. It'll just say, uh, hello, and then it'll probably get an answer the second time. Um, final thing is DNS uses port 53. Okay, so we need to know D- that you- because... Well, you're going to see that as we're, if you're debugging something and you see UDP packets on port 53... They're DNS packets. Okay. 
And that is where we're going to leave it today, because the next thing, so that's the theory, that's all of the theory. So the next thing is obviously the commands, and that I think we'll leave for next week. Ugh. I hate it when it's a tease, but I think uh, I think an hour of this no. is probably more than most people could do, so this is good. It's also a really good tease, right? Because we're, when we do the commands, we're going to reinforce everything we've just said, so it's actually perfect to let it sink in for a week and then to reinforce do a little, it. Do a little review and then jump in, huh? Yeah. All right. That sounds good, Bart. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, until then, happy computing. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at bartb.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartafisser.net.